seriously thank you uh, for filling in last week, and uh, this week we will be continuing in Nehemiah. Uh, so last week, uh, Bruce covered the beginning of chapter 8, and we're going to finish up chapter 8 of Nehemiah uh, today. So, uh, it was pretty interesting while we were in the, the Bahamas. Thank you. 
teach the people, teach the next generation uh, their history and their history of what God has done for them. Uh, and so the, the Feast of, of Booths, uh, is what they celebrate here, this was a time for them to remember um, the time period after God led them out uh, of Egypt uh, before he led them into the promised land. So there's a 40-year period of time where they traveled around in the wilderness and they would live in little tents or little booths. Right? And so um, this was a time for them to, the ceremony was a time for them to look back and remember God's provision for them and um, the way that God provided for Bless them the way that, that God made them a people through that time as they, they walked through that. And so they were supposed to follow this and celebrate this every year. And Nehemiah records that, well, they pretty much hadn't done that at all. Um, and so here you have this group of people who are basically the second Exodus. Right? What had just happened to these people? They just left captivity and come back to the promised land. Well, they rebuild the walls and get this opportunity to celebrate this festival as a sign to remind them of how God provides. And so what a special thing. And then what what were they doing? They go out into into the woods, they get sticks, and they build themselves a one-week shelter. On top of that, every day, they're making food sacrifices. So after you make the food sacrifice, what do you do? Sacrifices to God, and then you enjoy it. So this is a week-long, city-wide, nationwide campout where they're barbecuing the whole time. What better thing to do after you've just spent all of your time and energy rebuilding the walls? I was telling Ken this morning, I was like, "Are you hurting?" He's like, "Well, I'm not feeling a different color than I'm feeling today." And I was like, "Well, I'm back." Since we got back from Ireland, I've been from Sledgehammer to Nuff lately, I guess. Um, but uh, I just, I felt in my body just after a short week of, of working hard labor like that, that I needed some rest. I needed some time to recover. That's what God had done for me. And so he tells them, hey, in this week, you're supposed to take a break from work. You're not working. You're spending time with your family. You're camping out. You're having a barbecue. Teaching your kids, the next generation, about what I've done for you. What a beautiful picture. What a great thing to do. Um, and so, so we see this here. And the great thing is that the people get read this and they do it. And that's what we should do. We should hear God's word and we should do what it says. Um, in James uh, chapter one, he says it this way in the New Testament. Of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And so, Come in and we hear God's word or we read it on our own and we're like, man, that's awesome. That's 
sounds really good. I might try that sometime. Or, man, yeah, God's telling me I'm not supposed to live this way anymore, but I kind of like it, so I'm going to keep doing this thing. God doesn't want me to do. Or, I know I should really give my life to Jesus, but I'm not too sure what he'll do with it, so I don't really feel comfortable giving it away. To answer that, I want us to go to the New Testament. 
if you go to what Jesus said about such things. So we're looking at this Old Testament law, this Old Testament ceremonial system, this Old Testament festival that we're, we're supposed to, that they were supposed to follow then. And so let's go to Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus says this. He says in verse 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So that that passage here, Jesus is is talking about how he relates to the Old Testament. So the Feast of Booths is part of the Old Testament system. It would have been one of their ceremonies along with like the Passover. Passover would have been a really good one. here saying that he didn't come to abolish those things. But for those of us who don't celebrate those things, if we if we come to them and say, oh, well, Jesus abolished this, well, I think he's pretty clear here in saying that that's not what he came to do. He, he said, I didn't come to abolish them. But what did he come to do? He came to fulfill them. And that is the big thing that we need to see here, that Jesus is saying, Especially the Passover. The Passover is the easiest way to see it. Because we, we no longer need, they, they say we no longer need to celebrate the Passover because Jesus is the ultimate Passover. We no longer need to sacrifice a lamb every year because Jesus is the ultimate lamb. Now I know that, that some of you do celebrate some of these kind of things, practice some of these things, and I just encourage you if you aren't doing that, make sure you're doing it in a way that you're looking at it through the light of Jesus. Fulfill this. If you're celebrating one of these things and you're using it to point yourself and your family to look what Jesus ultimately was the fulfillment of, then that's great. But as Christians, as followers of Christ, we look back on these things, we look back on these ceremonies, and we're able to say, Wow, look at what Jesus fulfilled. I no longer have to do that because Jesus fulfilled it. What we see in the, the New Testament is that they look at the Testament system, and they, they, they come to the conclusion, rightly, that they're like, hey, this whole system was designed to show us that we can't measure up to God's perfect standard. If we try to keep all of these rules and try to keep all of these ceremonies perfectly, then we're going to fall short. We can't measure up. There's no way. 
instead we're supposed to be in the world, in the different governments, and all through those perspectives, ultimately knowing that our allegiance is to Christ. So when we look back on those civil laws, we look back and we say, oh, Jesus fulfilled this. Jesus fulfilled this. I don't have to strive to, to try to set this up now. Ceremonial laws, these would be all of the laws that would relate to their worship. So, this would be the whole sacrificial system. This would be all of the festivals would fall under the ceremonial law. These are were ceremonies um, that were set up in their worship that God dictated this is how you're to worship me. Um, and so, He gave them these things. And that's what we especially look back on and we say, wow, look what Jesus fulfilled. Jesus did all of this. You take into account, like if you just read through the book of Leviticus, and if you can stay awake, um, as you read through the book of Leviticus, you'll see all of these different sacrifices, all these different, different sacrifices throughout the book that the people were supposed to give. And we get to look back through the lens of Jesus now and we say, wow, all of these different sacrifices for all of these different reasons, for all of these different things, Jesus fulfilled on the cross. So that's why it's so good for us to study these things, because we learn more about Jesus. We learn more about what he did. These ceremonies and the different festivals and everything, it's great for us to study and learn about these things, because it tells us more about who Jesus is and what he did for us, and the fact that we don't have to keep it up to the Lord. So it's not that those things are bad or wrong, but it's just that those things are no longer necessary for us, because we have Jesus who fulfilled all. why we can look at, don't mix your fabrics, which was a ceremonial thing, according to wanting to be pure, and we can say, well, Jesus was the ultimate pure thing, and what we get when we, when we come to Christ, what the New Testament tells us is that we're actually clothed in His righteousness. What that means is when God looks at me, He doesn't see all of my sin, He doesn't see all of my filth and all of the junk that I've done, but instead he sees me covered by Jesus' righteousness. So I don't have to worry about these clothes and what they're made out of, because before my Creator, I'm seen with the seen being covered in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. So I don't have to worry about mixing the fabrics now. But if I'm covered with the righteousness of Jesus, then those things that are in the moral side of things, I'm going to want the people around me to see God's righteousness coming through me. Because, yeah, God sees me as righteous. He sees me covered with, with Jesus' cloth or whatever you want, however you want to describe it. But when I'm interacting in the world around me, if I want to point people to Him, to His perfect righteousness, 
and I'm going to strive to live in a way that is righteous myself. And so that's why I want to learn from these things in His Word about what does it mean to be moral. That's why Christians get a really bad rap in our culture if we stand up and say, hey, this is God's morality, uh, whereas maybe what our culture has a different moral standard. And our question has to be, am I standing with God and with what He says is moral, or am I following what the world says is right and right? See, the Old Testament system was designed to show that being made right with God on your own is impossible. The New Testament, however, shows us that through Jesus, we have grace that now covers us and frees us from that bondage. Being free in Christ, we should use that freedom to live a moral life that glorifies Him. You're like, okay, Wayne, that's all well and good, but uh, do we have any Bible for that? That's a very good question, and I'm glad you're asking. Um, in Acts, in the book of Acts, we have the account of after Jesus is risen into heaven, when the gospel starts to spread, and the church starts to form, and they're really dealing with this specific question of what of Judaism applies to Christians. Um, especially as the Holy Spirit moved and started coming to the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? Everyone who is not of Jewish ancestry. So who would that include? Me. I don't know if any of you have Jewish ancestry, but I would assume most of us probably are not. We're probably mostly Gentiles. And so they're faced with this, this decision, and they're having to sort through this on, well, what exactly applies to them? And when we read about it in the New Testament, it's always uh, categorized in the terminology of the sign of the old covenant, which was circumcision. And so they, whenever you see them arguing over circumcision, you're like, why are they always arguing over this? Why, you know, why, why do they care so much if somebody's circumcised or not? Well, the reason they care so much was that was the symbol of, are we saying that Christians have to take on all of the bondage and all of the yoke of the Old Testament system? And that's what they're dealing with in Acts chapter 15 uh, when they come together. And I'll just read this to you. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That's a pretty big statement, right? So these, these people have already trusted in Jesus. They've given their life to Christ. They've been baptized at this point, I think. And, and now all of a sudden somebody else comes in and saying, hey, uh, unless you also do all of this, you're not going to really be saved. You're not really good with God. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dis- dissension and debate with them, how would you like to debate with Paul? I mean, you really think you got a shot there? I mean, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. It brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep 
Christ's answer. They've got to keep all the festivals. They've got to do all of these things. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Peter saying, this whole Old Testament system, none of us could do it. So why on earth are would we put it on these new Christians? Our whole hope in Jesus is based on the fact that we couldn't do it. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Well, how are we saved? How are we made, made right with God? By the grace of Jesus, not by performing acts, not by keeping ceremonies, not by following any kind of rule. And all the assembly fell silent. They listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And they finished speaking, and James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agreed, just as it is written. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that is falling. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it. That the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles are called by my name. That's the Lord who makes these things known from old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, and from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled from ancient generations, Moses has, has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read among every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders of the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, and the brothers of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Sicily. Greetings. That's a big statement for these Jewish leaders in Christianity to say from these brothers to those brothers. We're one. We're equal. We're both brothers of Jesus Christ. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, don't worship something besides God, and from blood from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality, which is basically 
all sexual activity outside of monogamous heterosexual relationships work. They're saying the same for that. You'll keep yourselves from these. You will do well there. So, what did the early church, what did the leaders of the church, the apostles, the ones that, that Jesus tasked with starting the church, the ones who are being led by the Holy Spirit, what did they say? They said, hey, we need, let's be moral. Let's be moral people who are followers of Christ. But we're not going to try to keep on you all of the burdens of the Old Testament system that we ourselves we have. And so, Feast of Booths. You want to celebrate it? Opportunity to point your kids to Christ, not to some system. If you're trying to earn favor with God by doing it, don't do it. But if you want to bring, if you want to use it as a teaching tool to instruct your kids on what God has done, absolutely. But as Christians, we we are not burdened by that because Jesus fulfilled all of those Old Testament systems and ceremonies. But what we are instructed to do in the New Testament is as Jesus was taking of the Sabbath, I mean, taking of uh, the Passover with his disciples, just before, in a few hours, he's going to become the ultimate Passover lamb. He gathered them together and he created a new ceremony. This is what we do celebrate. It's what we do follow. It's the ceremony of the Lord's Supper. It's a ceremony that has the physical elements that are meant to remind us of the ultimate price that Jesus paid for us. To ultimately point us to Jesus, to the fact that he laid down his physical body for us, that he shed his literal blood for us. And we're about to take of the Lord's Supper here in just a little bit. And so this is a ceremony as Christians that we do follow, that we do take of. This is a time, as with all ceremonies, that has multiple facets. For the follower of Christ, this is a time for us to kind of look inward and say, about that whole moral thing, are there things where maybe I haven't been living up to God's standard? Are there things that, yeah, I know I'm covered by Jesus and his righteousness, but I know in the way that I've dealt with other people, they probably haven't seen that righteousness very much. And I need to repent of that and turn from that. I need to ask him for forgiveness for that. But it's also a time that we can be joyful. It's a time that we can celebrate in what he's done for us and the fact that we get to have all of eternity with him if we're followers of Christ. And so my, my biggest question for you today is, do you know Jesus? And all this that we're talking about, do you know him? Have you asked him to be your Lord and Savior? Have you heard his word and have you done it? When it says, all, the, all those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Have you done that? Have you placed your faith in him and said, yes, Jesus is real. He is the answer. What he did on the cross applies to me. Thank you, Lord, 